Hi there, my real name is Terry Ibell. For all of you who think I made up this name as a pun on the word terrible, yes, Terry Ibell is actually my real name and that's how you pronounce it. And welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Aaron Long, a super duper duper talented dude who is best known for his work on BoJack Horseman, where he was a storyboard artist, animator, animation director, writer, and director over the course of its six seasons. And in our chat, he's going to share exactly how all that happened from his humble beginnings at Max the Mutt Animation School in Toronto. Currently, Aaron is working as an animator and animation director for Netflix's Tuca and Birdie, which is another super cool show you should definitely check out. But what you may not know, or maybe you do, I don't know, is that Aaron also runs his own independent animation series called Sublo and Tangy Mustard, which is about the everyday happenings of two sub-sandwich mascots who live in Toronto. Aaron directs, writes, animates, and composes the music for each episode, and he's already finished 15 and amassed over 300,000 views on YouTube, so you can go binge watch that right now, especially if you spent your early 20s in Toronto, it will really make you feel nostalgic for the good old days. Now, funny story, I actually asked Aaron to come on this chat after he commented on a tweet I made about an episode I did with stop motion animator Kevin Perry. Then, coincidentally, he ended up judging my live pitch at the 2019 Taffy Conference in Toronto, which just goes to show you how small the animation world really is. And now he's a guest on this podcast. But first, I have a sponsored message to share with you, and it comes from my friends over at Bloop Animation, which is an animation learning platform packed with premium online video courses for aspiring animation filmmakers. They have courses for all major animation programs like Maya, Animate CC, Toon Boom, Blender, TV Paint, and many others, as well as some non-software courses like a storyboarding course, Animation Foundations course, and even one about making graphic novels, which covers absolutely everything you need to know from start to finish. Their courses are all in video form, so there are no deadlines or application process. You simply just pick a course and then you start learning in seconds. They even offer a free ebook titled Making an Animated Short, which covers their entire process step by step of how they made one of their films from coming up with the idea to storyboarding, animation, and all the way to exporting the film. And you can get that book for completely free at bloopanimation.com slash animation industry, or you can check out their complete course library at bloopanimation.com slash courses. And I've included both those links in the description of this chat. So please check those out. Now let's jump right into the chat. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for coming on the chat. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm good. You know, it's it's finally summer, even though it's COVID and it's like super hot right now. So I'm I'm loving the weather. <laughs> uh, I can't even tell. I've, my my windows are closed and I've got a fan on me. So it's just the same no matter what the weather is outside. Right. And you don't have to leave. Well, I have a dog, so I have to go on like multiple walks every day. So it like forces me to get out in the sun. But now, now that COVID's going on, how often do you leave your apartment? A couple of times a week, I guess, just for, uh, uh, you know, a walk around the neighborhood, I guess. Oh, gosh. So how, how is uh, how is COVID affecting your work life balance, all that stuff? Well, right now I'm supervising on a show uh, and having to do it from home, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite what I thought I was going to be signing up for as like a supervising director, but uh, it's been okay so far. Are you just on yeah. Zoom chats all day? Yeah, basically. Uh, well, I try to avoid that because then it means I don't actually get any work done, you know? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, um, well, we have we have so much to talk about. We have Bojack and and Sublo and Tangy Mustard and and Tuca and Birdie and all this stuff. But first, I want to know why you're interested in coming on the chat in the first place. Oh yeah, um, 
I guess just to kind of share my experiences in animation. And I really like, uh, you know, I always am interested in sort of like demystifying stuff. Like yeah. there's no reason that anything in the animation industry needs to be like opaque or like secretive, you know, it's like, there's so many different ways of like getting into it and like finding work and stuff. Uh, I just feel like the more informed people are, the better, you know? Totally. That's, that's a big reason why I started this podcast because when I was trying to figure out how to, when I decided to get into the industry, there was like so hard to find info. There was like random YouTube videos here and there, like people sharing their stories of how they got in, but there was like not that much info out there. So starting this podcast, I've learned so much, but what is, I guess, sure, yeah. Yeah, I guess you kind of said it, but I was going to ask you, what is kind of the main takeaway you hope somebody listening to this takes away from your journey and experience after they hear it all? Uh, I guess maybe like the value of doing your own independent work as well as like studio work or yeah. industry work and, you know, uh, kind of how those two things can feed off each other and like help each other. Yeah, good. I think I think that's important because a lot of people I bring on this chat, you know, they they're working in the studio and they say they don't have time to do their own personal stuff or on the side. So I think you're a perfect person to talk to that because you've got a very successful and growing independent cartoon series going on. <laughs> so let's 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 backtrack a little bit. Where did all this start for you? I know you came from Toronto, which is, you're Canadian, first of all, right? Yeah. So uh -huh. maybe you can backtrack and say what got you inspired to get into cartoons in the first place. Uh, well, I always kind of liked drawing and animation as a kid. Like, my dad really liked Looney Tunes, and so we'd watch a lot of that. I was into Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, Peanuts and Ren and Stimpy and, like, I don't know, Tiny Tunes. A lot of NFB stuff. Uh, the Raccoons, that was a Canadian yes. one. I, liked. <laughs> nope, I don't think anybody knows who the Raccoons are. <laughs> I think they're Canada? actually getting a reboot. Oh, yeah, that's right. I heard about that. Yeah. Huh. So you, you just went from watching cartoons and bam, you're directing BoJack Horseman? Like, what yeah, happened pretty much. It just happened overnight. <laughs> no, um, I liked a bunch of that stuff and I just was sort of obsessively, I used to just research whatever I liked online. Like once I discovered the internet, it was like, oh, I should just look up everything I like and try and learn about it. I don't know, I was, I was a nerdy kid. Um, so, uh, you know, I would just look up like, how do these things come into existence? Like, how does animation work? And uh i started doing i did a bunch of comics i did like um some computer games that weren't very good i did like stop motion with a just a webcam and some action figures uh and then i got flash started doing shorts in that so how how old were you when you were doing because because like you know we're kind of similar in age i guess but when when i was a kid there was like no internet and then there was dial up and then, like, <laughs> how yeah, are you creating I, Flash? <laughs> uh, well, I got Flash, I think it was probably around, like, 2006 or seven or something. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I was 17, or, yeah, I guess. Um, and before, like, everything else before that, I was kind of floundering and, like, trying to find different ways of making stuff, but I wasn't really, until I got Flash, I didn't feel like I'd found a software that really let me just do what I wanted to do, yeah. you know? Like, I didn't really have any proper animation software like i was trying to do like cutscenes, you know in like a video game software where i'd make like this big uh like ambitious opening cutscene for a game and then do one level just kind of as a token well i got there's got to be some gameplay right and then uh immediately kind of give up i'd be like oh well the cutscene is over now i don't actually want to make the game so you're actually making video games just to animate cutscenes. it's hilarious so Basically, when yeah. did you decide 
because you know you're going through school and there's career studies and then you know you got to choose if you're going to college university when did you decide to really take animation seriously like you're like this is my career path uh i think it was during high school i i came from a family that did a lot of music and so the two kind of big options for me were like am i gonna try and like do music or uh or animation and i do music for my cartoons but i basically picked animation you know professionally yeah uh and i sort of I, I got an internship at a studio called Chuck Gamage Animation, which like like out of high school. Uh, during high school, as like a co-op apprenticeship kind of thing, like through oh the school. Because um, awesome. my uncle worked as an, uh, he was like in advertising, and he uh, had done a commercial with them, I guess, or something. So he kind of like hooked me up through them, and I I was I came to the school and was like, hey, I found an animation studio that's willing to let me do an apprenticeship here. Can I do it? And they were like, I guess if they already said yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I was at Chuck Yamage for, I guess like a year of school basically. Oh wow. And I was, uh, this was like, yeah, would have been my fifth year, you know, like I graduated after grade 12 and then a bunch of us kind of like stuck around for like an extra year to do uh, co-op stuff. And uh, I wasn't really any use to them at the time. Cause I couldn't draw too well. Like I couldn't draw, at a professional level, you know? So I was kind of just like doing odd jobs, like uh, coloring footage or like adding little details to, that like somebody forgot to draw on the character at one point or little effects stuff. But I was basically just there to learn, I guess. Uh, and Chuck was really nice to me. He like kept like, uh, he was like lending me a bunch of CDs and uh, introducing me to all these weird animators I like, like Jim Tyre. Um, nice. He was just kind of like excited to have like a kid who was interested in like old cartoons at the studio, you know. And he was like, "Oh, I could like shape this kid and make him uh, have the same taste as me," which you know, it kind of did for a while. Man, that's like a super rare and unique and amazing opportunity to have it at high school. That's awesome. So then you went to Max the Mutt, and so I'm at Sheridan right now, and like I've heard of Max the Mutt, but I don't really know anybody who's gone there and you know it's like i know that it's like a smaller private school that's like very focused can yeah. you just kind of give an overview of uh the curriculum i guess that they they gave you like what what is it like there sure yeah um so basically like i applied to sheridan and max the mutt and i i guess with sheridan i got accepted into that one year art fundamental thing before yeah. the main program and uh the first year of max the mutt is also art fundamentals but uh, I figured I could just do that and then maybe reapply to Sheridan after that first year and hopefully just get straight into the animation program. But I ended up just liking Max the Mud enough to stay there. Uh, how, big, how big is the class sizes there? Because at Sheridan, each year oh, is constantly like 125 people. Sorry? It was constantly shrinking. Uh, as yeah. I guess a lot of schools do, but like there was maybe like 30 kids in our animation year in the oh, first wow. year and like six by the end of the fourth year what that's insane but a few of them graduated after the third year because okay. we were in this weird uh turnover year where they were changing from having a three-year animation diploma to a four-year computer animation diploma so our first three years were basically just all 2d and then they were like okay well you can either graduate now with a 2d one or take an extra year of 3d so, so you were like um and uh yeah i mean it was probably similar curriculum to Sheridan I would think there's a lot of like uh, traditional art stuff there's like life drawing and painting um like uh 
to you know design composition all that kind of stuff uh, it wasn't just animation stuff but it was so good how did, it like teachers so how did max curious. sorry <laughs> how did max the mutt set you up for your career then like did you go straight into the industry like uh well they kind of i mean they did help a lot but i basically just kind of got in on my own into the industry just from stuff that was unrelated to the school because while i was at school i was doing like a short every year basically unrelated to the school like just on my own time oh uh, wow <laughs> with this fester fish character uh and it was kind of like this like retro sort of 30s 40s kind of cartoon um and then uh those kept getting posted on this website cartoon brew and uh and people were seeing them in the industry and uh, like more than i realized at the time like i didn't I didn't notice it, but then after I was in the industry and I kept meeting people and they'd go, oh, yeah, I saw those cartoons years ago. And I was like, whoa, really? Nice. Uh, that's, that's, so that was pretty cool. But anyway, um, uh, after my last year of Max DeMott, I, you know, uh, somebody saw them, this woman called Scout Raskin, who was like a producer, producer down here in L.A. And she hired me to do some freelance for her. And then she was like, uh, I'm a producer on this show called Trip Tank. You want to come? work on it as an animator and maybe direct a short or two and I was like I guess so I mean I didn't really want to move to LA because I like Toronto a lot but I was like I guess I could do six months or something and then I ended up staying there or here for the for the next like 10 years <laughs> oh, I hope not uh seven years now seven years oh my gosh by year 10 uh, so I mean, the, the United States, United States is so scary right now. Like if, oh yeah. if it was safe to fly, I'd be out of here right now. Well, I, we are not, we're not even accepting you guys, right? Like you can't even come back. Can you? I think I can, but, uh, I'd have to quarantine for a few weeks after. Yeah. Oh, well, you're a citizen, I guess. So that, yeah, uh, I'm a citizen. Yeah. I'm not an American citizen. Um, gotcha. So how did you end up just staying in LA after kind of agreeing to six months? Like did, did trip tank just turn into some something else that kept you staying there like what what's the story behind well, that uh trip tank was like a really weird kind of messy show but it yeah. was a lot of fun to work on because it was kind of like because it was so messy you know like they'd they'd be like okay somebody is doing like a short and they need a background so you're going to do their backgrounds for this week and then the next week you're doing animation on a different short and then i got to direct one in that first season and then uh you know, like you were kind of hopping all over the place. So it was a great first job because they kept giving you like different parts of the production to like try. And uh, I ended up doing storyboards on BoJack season one after that, just because they were in a big rush to get it going. So they, they, they came up with BoJack or they got the contract for BoJack? Or, well, they or were like... doing the pilot for BoJack when I got to the studio in like June 2013. They were kind of finishing up the pilot and shopping it mm -hmm. around, I guess. But uh, I, I wasn't involved in the pilot. Um, I was just like sitting in the same room with them while they made it, but working on trip tank stuff. And then uh, let's see. After that, like when trip tank was ending, they had like sold Bojack to Netflix, I guess. And uh, they were like, okay, Netflix's deal is that they'll buy it, but only if we finish the whole show, the whole first season in like six months. So everybody who's like at the studio everybody we know who does 2d animation uh you're hired on bojack right now let's go <laughs> episode one starting this week oh my gosh so you're just like thrown right into the gauntlet that I, so like from my perspective it, it sounds like 
like your story is pretty swift. You went from like high school where you had an internship to to school and then getting picked up and then working on BoJack right away, which ended up becoming like a huge phenomenon. So like, how was that experience for you? Just kind of like going through it all so fast. It, like <laughs> when you reflect on it now versus, I it guess. It didn't feel fast at the time, but looking yeah. back, I guess it was, yeah. Because I didn't start as like a director on BoJack or anything. Like I right. started as a storyboarder and then, uh, I think it helped that like Trip Tank was such a small thing, you know, that yeah. uh, even when I was directing on season two of Trip Tank, it was like, it's all just sketches. So it's it always feels pretty low stakes, you know, like on BoJack, uh, and then even more so now that I'm supervising, it really kind of feels more like there's pressure because you're like, okay, you have like a whole episode that you're responsible for, or in this case, like a whole season. Um, <laughs> Uh, but with Trip Tank, it was always like bite-sized responsibilities, you know, it was like, don't mess up this three-minute sketch. And you're like, how could I even? Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> now they're like, don't, don't mess up this entire season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, I could, I could think of a few ways it might go badly. <laughs> so but, how, okay, so one question I have that is like, how do you start doing backgrounds on one show to end up directing a very big show? Like... I'm assuming not everybody who is working at the start ended up directing or, or following the same path as you. Did you actively work towards becoming a director or did it like, how did that happen? I didn't particularly like, I was kind of surprised when they wanted me to direct because I was like, really, I don't have a lot of experience, but uh, I think it helped that I was doing my own work on the side. Like that's kind of what always, I think gave them some faith that I would do a good job yeah. on it. Was that so, they then, so then why did they specifically, you know? so then why did they specifically ask you then? Like, you know, versus like hiring another director or giving it to somebody else? Like, like you were running this well, series on the that, side. Yeah, I think uh, a big part of it was just that, uh, like, uh, Scout Raskin, who I mentioned, who was a producer on Trip Tank, uh, she had so much faith in me and she really loved the shorts that I had done on the side. Nice. And, uh, in season two of Trip Tank, a lot of the people who had worked on season one were either on BoJack, because how it worked was we did Trip Tank season one, and then BoJack season one, and then BoJack and Trip Tank season two at the same time. So they gave me the option of like staying on BoJack as a storyboarder or going back to Trip Tank to direct, and I was like, well, I kind of want to direct. That would be cool. <laughs> um, but they gave a bunch of people chances to direct on Trip Tank. Uh, okay. Uh, it wasn't like like I was like the one person who was going to be the director. There was like, I don't know, at least 10 people, you know? Sounds like and a great place to work at the time. It was. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. It was, it was very chaotic and very fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, like with trip tank, because it was sort of low stakes, it was a good entry directing job. And then after that on Bojack, uh, they were kind of like, well, we've seen that you can direct. Okay. Like it sounds like, you didn't fall too far behind schedule or anything on Trip Tank. Those sketches came out pretty well. So uh, uh, they wanted me as a director in season three, but there just weren't enough spots, which yeah. is kind of the same thing that seems to happen every season is we're like, oh, this person would be a good director. Like they've, they've shown a lot of promise, but we just don't have any episodes that we need directors for, really. Because okay. we have like four teams that each do three episodes. So there's only four directors on a usual season. Uh, but I started directing in season four, which was a weird season where they, uh, one person had left 
the studio and another person had switched from directing to overseas supervision of the animation. So they had a few spots they needed to fill. So uh, they were kind of trying out, I think, five new directors that season. And uh, two of us, they kept on as directors for multiple episodes. Just because I guess we were like the safest choices, you know? Right. When you say they, are you, are you talking about the, like, who are you talking about? I guess the executives and the the supervising director of the, sh- of the show and just the, the producers, you know? Gotcha. So when you say you directed an episode, can you explain exactly what that means? Like how much say do you have in what happens in the episode or the story or how things are executed or whatnot? Uh, it kind of varies. Like on BoJack, we didn't have a ton of... Uh, input into the story. Uh, Tuca is a little more flexible, but basically the the system that we follow is kind of the same, where you find out what's happening in your episode, you might get like a, a synopsis or something, and then you go to the table read, which is where you probably hear the episode for the first time. And then after that, you get like a radio play and the script, and you start doing pre-thumbs for it, and you usually have like a week. And that's kind of just to figure out how you're going to approach the episode and you know at the end of the week you do a little presentation of all your drawings and like here's what i pictured for this scene this kind of environment uh you know like maybe this is the way we could stage this like action bit here or something and you could kind of just uh try and wrap your head around the episode as much as you can for that week and then the week after that you get your team of an assistant director and two or three i forget how many it was on bojack uh storyboarders and then you just start thumbing it out so you that's do like, interesting that you actually do the storyboarding before or the the thumbing before storyboard artist takes a look at it because usually i've heard you know the storyboard artist goes off and does their their take and then comes back to the director well that's always dangerous if you do that you know it's better to like a lot of the time i'll give them like really crude like uh i mean we call that first pass of storyboards thumbnails but it's basically just like rough boards so I'll give them like stick figures almost just to be like, okay, like this character's standing here, this one's here, this one's sitting down, and then just kind of block out the scene for them. Um, and then they can kind of focus more on the acting, which isn't usually, I don't know if that's how other shows do it. I think it's not. But uh, especially on BoJack, our show is a lot more about the acting, I guess. And it was more of like a, you know, it was, it was closer to like a live action sitcom the way it was done in the filmmaking, I think. Uh, right. So we didn't have a lot of uh, backgrounds either. So it was always kind of like trying to reduce the risk of like getting a scene that somebody spent like four days on that doesn't really accomplish what you wanted to. Oh, no. Uh, so, you know, just in order to try and avoid that, you try and like figure things out as much as possible beforehand. So it's if you not were a to... board-driven show, you know. I mean, yeah. on a board-driven show, the border is like usually picking the shots more, I guess. There, there. So if you were to, you know, somebody's asking you right now, they're trying to become a director on a TV show and they're wondering like what skills they should focus on that'll really, you know, have the executive team trust in them and their abilities. What would you, what would you say to them? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like one of the big things is just to be reliable and like easy to work with. I, yeah. uh, I hope that some part of it is like, you know, talent, <laughs> Uh, but also, you know, just showing that you can be like responsible for stuff and like not like, like there's things where that I had to learn becoming a director that I had no idea would really be part of it. Like, uh, 
like I had never considered the the people management side of it, you know, like I, I had done shorts on my own where I did everything, but I wasn't necessarily used to, uh, I don't know, like managing people's workloads or figuring out how to cast them to their strengths on like a different scene. Yeah. Cause some people are big, better at like big broad acting and others are better at like subtle, more delicate kind of stuff or like action or dances how do you, or whatever. How do you figure that stuff out other than trial and error just over time? Uh, I guess it kind of is just trial and error. I yeah. mean, uh, I thought when I started directing, I was like, maybe I should like read a book about like management or something, but I didn't end up doing that. Uh, like I said, it helped that I started on like a smaller thing before graduating to like a full half hour episode. Yeah. Um, another thing is just like that you have to keep people, you have to keep people in the loop about like how your episode's going, which I wasn't used to at the beginning. I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. Like I'll get it done by next Friday. And then, you know, it'd be Thursday night. And I was like, uh, turns out I didn't. Is that okay? And they were like, no, like if you told us three days ago, it might be okay. Now we're screwed. Oh no. <laughs> you know, just that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, like all the relationships and politics of it kind of, I wasn't really expecting. Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, that was never like a huge thing on BoJack. Like everybody was pretty uh, easygoing. There. In my experience on it, at least. But that's good. But yeah, um, I don't know. I definitely feel like doing your own stuff helps a lot in convincing people that you'd make a good director because you can show exactly what your sensibility is and like what you're good at, what you're interested in, um, and just show that you can execute a cartoon. You know. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think like that's really more, good. The more that you do of your own stuff, the more somebody can see like oh that's the kind of thing that they would do for us so let's hire them to do that so maybe i just want to ask you how do you fit doing your own stuff into a schedule where you're working full time on you know you're directing a show and you're also creating your own series on the side how do you like how do you manage to do that because i i talked to a lot of people on this podcast that wish they could do that and and they don't find the time or, you know, you get home at the end of the day and you're mentally drained, you know? So where, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I always, it's, I guess you kind of just have to, I mean, first of all, like I live with my girlfriend. I don't have kids or anything. If I had kids, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Uh, I don't have a pet or anything either. I live pretty close to work. I'm like a 20 minute walk from work. Uh, nice. although right now I'm working from home but you know um, like I, I'm pretty pretty just good at making time for it like I don't play a lot of like video games or even really watch a lot of TV like yeah. I watch a lot of movies but like my main hobby I guess when I'm interested in doing a cartoon on my own is making the cartoon so I'll kind of like find time in the morning before work to like do the harder stuff and then make sure there's time in the evening to at least chip away a little bit on some of the like you know the labor intensive stuff like coloring or in-betweens or whatever that's pretty uh, incredible do you ever find yourself in a space where you just don't want to work on it because like working getting up early like i've done it too like getting up early to work on something before work and then coming home it can be draining after a while yeah. like <laughs> uh i mean I, I never like beat myself up if i like don't do it for a day or yeah. something like there's nights after work when I'm like oh, I don't want to work on it and I just don't but um I don't know while I'm making it I don't usually have a hard time staying motivated okay. I have a hard time in between projects kind of 
accepting that I'm not making something, you know, like right now, I just finished this big chunk of Sublo and Tangy Mustard episodes and I got to write some more, but uh, I haven't, like, I haven't done anything on it for a while. Like, I'm not used to not making cartoons. You know what I mean? Uh, So, like, right now I... I'm doing like other stuff, like uh, I'm building some miniatures and things like that, and just kind of taking a break to recharge. Nice. But uh, um, I don't know. Like I, I just want to be making cartoons. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm like always doing something on the side myself, and if I'm not, I like if I have too long of a break, which like <laughs> if it's a day or more, I get this like existential dread of like, what am oh, I totally, doing? Yeah. Time is like, what does time mean suddenly? I don't exactly. know what to do with myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to kind of deal with that. Like a lot of the time, especially when I am making a cartoon, it feels like my sense of like like how much I like like my self worth kind of gets wrapped up in like how productive I am on my yeah, my totally. stuff. And I'm like, oh, I only got like half an hour of work done on this like Saturday. Like I'm not I'm not working hard enough, you know? Right. And there's like like nobody's breathing down your neck to finish these things. So like, where does that come from? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of important that you are like self-motivated because like you really have to enjoy the process of it. Like, I don't know if I could do it if I was just like trying to grind out this thing that I hated doing just so that I'd have a finished cartoon at the end. Like, I think it's important if you're making your own stuff that you do enjoy making the stuff, you know, like I enjoy the act of like writing and animating. I mean, I think most people who write probably like writing, but, uh, you know, like, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to make a cartoon, but I hate animating. And I'm like, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it on your own. Like, you can try and sell it, but it's hard to do stuff in your spare time that, like, after working all day that you're not really excited about. Yeah. And I find that even with the Sublo and Hangy Mustard stuff, like, I usually, I try to, I try to do more episodes than I end up doing because there's certain ones that either, uh, you know, while I'm writing it or, like, after I've recorded it and I'm doing the boards for it, I'm kind of, like, you know, I'm just, like, not that excited about this one. It might be hard to, like, commit to, like, spending so much time animating this, like, this episode that I'm not that excited about because nobody's paying you. Like, there's no motivation other than just loving it, you know? Right. Well, I, I I do want to talk a lot about Tango and... Tango. Solo <laughs> and Tangy Mustard. But I do... I just want to, like... I have a few more questions that I want to ask about BoJack before we switch topics. Um, One one thing that I've heard from people that work on like Paw Patrol, for instance, is like they're if you mention it to like a kid that you work on Paw Patrol, you become like their idol and like, you know, (laughs) like they just love you and stuff. Does that happen with BoJack? Because I haven't talked to many people that actually work on adult cartoons. Uh, It does in every once in a while. Like uh, I remember not so much in LA, I feel like, because everybody I know in LA is an animator. Right, so they're like, like, yeah, you're just another animator on a different show. Yeah, they're like, whatever, I'm working on Big Mouth, I'm working on Rick and Morty, you're working on BoJack, whatever. But uh, in Toronto, uh, like, I know just, you know, a lot more regular people who are not animators, and they kind of are more interested in it. Like, I remember I was at this friend from high school's New Year's party one time, and his brother just kind of cornered me and talked to me about BoJack for like four hours. Oh no, four yeah. hours, and you're like, I want yeah. to see my other friends, please. I mean, it didn't feel like it, but then I looked at the clock and I was like, wow, it's like three in the morning. Like, I missed the countdown. Oh my gosh, what? <laughs> oh no. I was That's also ridiculous. pretty drunk, but I don't know. You know. Fair enough. Uh, is there anything that, like, behind the scenes or, like, you know, revealing kind of the process of how stuff gets made that you think would be interesting to share on the, on the show? Uh, on Bojack? Yeah, or just in uh, general from your experience? 
Uh, okay. So we were doing this episode, episode 411. It's called Time Zero. And you, was, I'm impressed that you remember this specific episode number. Like, that's that's <laughs> genius. Well, a lot of the time we don't remember the titles, you know, because, uh, like, we just usually refer to it by, like, the production number. So I know, like, in season four, I did 403, 407, and 411 for some reason. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and That's then season five, I did 503, 507, 511. So what happened in this notorious 411 episode? Oh, yeah. So this is one where it's like a flashback through Bojack's mom's memories. And um, uh, there's a lot of kind of weird stuff in the script that was going to be hard to interpret of, like, how to connect all the scenes and make it feel like she like you're looking through the memories of somebody who has dementia i think uh and we were trying to think of ways to make it feel surreal so that it didn't just feel like jumping through time but jumping through memories and one of the things that we ended up thinking of came out of like a, a budget issue where we like we're just trying to fill this ballroom sequence with extras and we were told, you know, this is a lot of extras. Like, you're not necessarily going to get this many. Like, you might have to just reuse a few here and there. And we were like, uh, what's the what's the biggest cost on the extras? And it's, like, the faces because you have to build in, like, eye blinks and mouth packs and stuff. Okay. So, like, let's just do them without faces and say that it's, like, because she doesn't remember them because it's a memory. So all the extra characters just don't have faces in that episode. And it, I think it works pretty well as, like, a creative choice, but it kind of came out of, like, being limited by the budget. That's a really cool anecdote, like, that you wouldn't know. And, and watching the episode, you just make that assumption because you're going through her memories. That's, that's really cool, actually. Uh, and then another thing, just because we'd already done that, we were like, let's have, like, a one character whose face is just like a scribble because she like doesn't want to remember them. <laughs> There's this character who's like her husband's uh, mistress, I guess. And that character has like a scribble over her face. Uh, also, just because the design wasn't that exciting. We were like, let's scribble over it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you didn't like the designs. So you just scribbled over it. So um, Bojack, this is just a random question that I have. Bojack is kind of like, uh, memed and like buzzfeeded all over the internet about being de- about depression and stuff like that. What's your take about the message of the show having worked on it from like the beginning basically and directing on it too? Uh, I kind of, I, I mean, I'm really happy to have been a part of it because of that, because it's like, you know, it means so much to people and people get so much out of it. Like, yeah. And I kind of agree with a lot of the show's messages, like that, you know, that especially that there's no endings really in life and you have to kind of just keep chipping away at things day by day. Uh, and also just sort of that, like I think Bojack kind of, part of his arc in the series as a whole is that he starts off with this very kind of like uh, empty nihilistic attitude and then he sort of comes around to trying to find the value in like relationships and stuff, which I... I feel is like pretty important because it's easier to be like, Oh, nothing matters. Like I'm so smart for figuring that out, but it can be harder to be like, okay, well what does matter? Like, you know, to kind of like move beyond the nihilism. Nice. Uh, Like I really liked that message. Um, uh, You know, just because it provides like hope as opposed to just like everything is fucked. Right. Uh, And also I liked, uh, especially in the last season, I thought it was good that they, had this like storyline with Diane about how medication can actually help people, but it's at the same time it's not like 
just an instant fix for everything. Like, it doesn't cure her depression in the show. It just kind of makes it a little easier to deal with, at least sometimes. You know, like I just like the nuance that the show often has about that kind of stuff. Nice. Has it has it affected how you your personal outlook on things? I guess. Uh, I don't know if the show has necessarily, but I mean, definitely there've been like you know pieces of art and like movies and stuff that have. But I kind of already agreed with the show when I was working <laughs> on it, so I was just like, oh, it's cool that we're doing a show that has this kind of message in it. Nice, nice. So you. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is a good time to talk about you actually took a bit of a hiatus from from the animation industry for a while. Can you sh- share why you decided to do that? Uh, well, there's a few reasons. I mean, it was partly just uh, to work on my own stuff a little bit because I was able to. Like uh, after Bojack ended, I didn't have any immediate next project. Like we were kind of hoping, at least for a little while, that it would sort of be like Bojack and Tuka and Birdie would like alternate productions. And you could like stay employed on those, but I kind of like taking breaks anyway. But um, anyway, Tuka got canceled after its first season. Right. So uh, um, yeah, I I was kind of left wondering like, okay, I've been on the same show for like six years, and I'm so used to this being my life, and uh, it kind of like took me a minute to figure out like, what do I actually want to do? Like things have just kind of been so like set out ahead of me, like, okay, well, next season, you're going to keep doing the same thing. So I kind of had to decide what I wanted for the first time in a while. Um, And uh, I also found it even, I mean, this has always been an issue for me, is I find it hard to get excited about a lot of shows or a lot of stuff going on in the industry. Um, I just, uh, you know, even before I went to college, I felt like that. Like, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a professional animator just because most animation is not that good i don't yeah. want to work on crap but uh i kept getting like offers for things that i really didn't want to work on after bojack and um we kind of had rumblings that tuka and birdie was going to come back so i was sort of like waiting for that but it took a little longer than we were hoping yeah but, i was gonna I, I was gonna ask if things i guess got easier for you after working on bojack for so long but you just said you got a lot of offers I, yeah, I mean, it was it would have been easy to find a job, but not necessarily a job that I liked. You know. So what? Is, so you mentioned, for instance, you you know you have to be inspired by the animation of the show. What what are those other things that you figured out that you will excite you to take on a project? Uh, I mean, you know, it could be. I just want to work on good stuff. You know, like if the visuals are exciting or the writing's good. I mean, hopefully both. Um, yeah. Or if there's people involved who I really want to work with. Uh, but, I mean, most stuff just isn't that great. <laughs> Which <laughs> okay. is, you know, like, okay. I mean, in general, that's kind of the reality of, like, having to work in the industry. But I'd been so spoiled working on BoJack for six years, which, yeah. uh, you know, the animation wasn't always what we wanted it to be. Like, it was a pretty stiff-looking show. But uh, just creatively, like, the stuff that it was dealing with in the writing was so much more exciting than, like, I don't know, just a generic family adult sitcom or something. Fair enough, uh, fair enough. So, to me, I mean, not like that's like an indisputable fact, but I liked it more than, I don't know, some of the other stuff that's that I know like friends of mine have been working on. Okay. Um, <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening to this. Oh, uh, they don't Self-identifying. I mean, that's, that's funny too, you know, like uh, online people have this mentality that's like, don't say anything bad about a cartoon because, you know, yeah. somebody was working on it and it's like, 
come on, like the people working on a show are the most critical of it. Like I guarantee like, uh, I'm not even going to name a show as an example because I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but you know, like there was like on any show that you work on, if, if there's something weird or like the animation doesn't come out well, like the crew or the people who are like, Oh crap, like we wanted this to look better. It's then, you know, and it means more to them because they have their name on it, you know? Yeah. And then like people online are like, like, oh, like that episode wasn't very good. And it's like, yeah, but the crew probably felt that 10 times as bad. Right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's some like weird, there's like fandoms that have hate towards specific shows for the for that specific reason. So what, so obviously you're working on Tuca and Birdie right now. What inspired you to come back? Was it the offer of working on Tuca and Birdie? Oh, yeah. I mean, Tuca was like the most fun show that I've worked on. I was, I was always pretty excited to, to get the chance to work on more of that. Just because it's like I was saying, like with BoJack, it's a show where I really feel like it addresses things that are interesting that aren't just kind yeah. of, like, you know, it's not just like a ripoff of like some other TV show's plot. It's like right. actually based on real life. So if Tuca and Birdie didn't get renewed, where do you think you would be right now? I might just be, I mean, it might have forced me to like be more uh, driven in like pitching my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it could have been good, uh, but um it kind of in a way it just kind of put off me having to make the decision about what's next uh, Fair enough. Fair so enough. i don't know if it's necessarily solved the problem <laughs> but it's sort of like it kept me busy enough that i uh, i don't really need to think about it for at least another year <laughs> <laughs> okay there so let's talk about uh sublo because that's kind of the independent thing that you've been working on on the side that we've mentioned a bunch of times and uh like the first time I saw it, what the I guess my favorite part about it is that it just feels like my life, like when I first moved to Toronto. And I think it's That's pretty cool. rare to actually see Toronto in mainstream stuff. Like everything that takes place in the States, the States yeah, is so definitely. iconic with all its locations and Toronto's coming on the scene a little bit more. And yeah. uh, that's like one of my favorite things about it. But, you know, that you've got like this, I don't know how to put it, but just like this real humor like you feel like these are real people and this is really happening and these situations are just like so down to earth so can you share what sublo and tangy mustard is to you and why you decided to start it and like we'll we'll talk about it from there i guess sure yeah um i kind of like i just really i uh i think it's been long enough that i i don't feel too bad talking about trip tank uh but like with trip tank which is kind of i was working on when I started doing Sublo, it was so sort of like based on like like these ancient like sketch comedy premises. Like it felt like half of the sketches were like referencing like Leave It to Beaver or something, where there'd be a dad that's like, "Oh, now Billy, you got to learn about the birds and the bees or whatever." And I was just like, "This has no relation to like anything," <laughs> you know. And even in my own stuff that I'd worked on, like the Fester Fish stuff was really fun, but it was sort of like a pastiche of existing cartoons from like decades ago and i just didn't feel that uh connected to it personally yeah so i really wanted to do stuff that just sort of reflected like what my life was you know like living in toronto in my i guess early 20s at the time and like hanging out with my friends and being Getting drunk and at work and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know just stuff like that uh and i don't know just something that really felt like what I found funny, um, yeah. which is probably a, a lot milder than other people. I'm not really that into like shock humor and stuff. 
So but, a lot of but time. it stands out because everything is so overwhelmingly shock humor when it comes to like animation. I guess so, because, yeah. Yeah. Like I get a lot of comments that are like, oh, this made me laugh even though it's boring. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean it is going for like a slice of life thing just because right. uh, you know, I feel like that you don't have a lot of that in animation. At least adult right. stuff. I mean there's there's a few uh, kids shows that are kind of slice of lifey. Well, uh, most most animations, especially you know, short stuff, is just focused on like like shock or ridiculous humor or like kids, like Pokemon and whatnot, like for adults, yeah. right? Versus an actual here an adult characters living in an adult world. Yeah, just I just wanted to do something that I kind of related to more. Um, so, uh, so you're also like, it's on YouTube. It's got like tens, of, probably hundreds of thousands of views at this point. It's on. It's pretty much everywhere. I know you publish it on Newgrounds and I think Tumblr and stuff too. What are what is success for you? Like obviously you're driven to make it from internal reasons, but I think there's something where you're hoping people connect with it too at some level. Like so yeah, what, yeah. So what is uh, success of the show for you? I mean, I mean, the biggest goal with it is just to get more people to see it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess like the uh, like. I'd love to be able to do it independently and somehow like make a living off of it. Like right now on Patreon, I get like $200 an episode, which is not that much. <laughs> it's more than zero. But, yeah, it's more than zero. It's, it's building, but uh, a little slower than I'd like. But, you know, it'd be great to be able to like somehow like make a living doing that or any independent project and maybe have like a small kind of like versatile support team, you know, like of like yeah. three or four people. Uh, so that I could delegate things, but still be hands-on. Because, like, as cool as it would be to, like, create a show and have, like, you know, a full, like, 40 or 50-person crew working on it, I also know that, like, at that stage, like, at that level, the creator isn't usually involved enough to get to, like, be animating shots or something, you know? Right. Uh, but I really love doing that stuff. Like, I kind of enjoy the micro and macro aspects of it. So, in a way, like... I wish there was like a, a middle tier beyond like being totally independent or like being like, you know, full like Hollywood creator kind of, you know? Yeah. Well, I, th I think there are some people like that, you know, they have Patreons and there's Kickstarters yeah. and like, you know, if you reach a certain tier of YouTube, that helps too. Do you think you'll have to change kind of the directing vision of Sublo to get to that point? Or are you hoping that just kind of doing what you're doing and will lead to that eventually? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like my dream scenario. I don't know how realistic it is because I just don't know if the show has that much appeal to people, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, but I, in another sense, I just feel like getting to make the show is the success, you know? Like, obviously, I want a lot of people to see it and connect with it, but it's just kind of really like for my own enjoyment. Uh, like, I think that's... Like we were saying earlier, I think that's kind of what you have to have if you're making a cartoon independently on the side is like that has to almost be its own reward in a way. Yeah. But I, I would love, you know, for it to be a bigger success. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's it's you're, I'd still say it's kind of in its infancy and it's growing like um, I'm all over Newgrounds all the time. And there are other yeah, series Newgrounds. that have like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm surprised it's still going, to be honest, with YouTube and everything. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, kind of an anomaly at this point, right? That like, yeah. like, there used to be so many sites like that. Um, it was like a Bino Black Sheep and, like, 
uh, I can't even remember them all, but yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, but the fact that Newgrounds is still around, it's like, uh, I was going to say a, a dinosaur, but not in a bad way. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. like, I mean that in like a good way. Like it's, it's like survived past where it should, you know? Well, I think it's, it's actually impressive that they're actually, there are series of, animations that are kind of exclusive to Newgrounds and you have to be part of the Newgrounds culture to even know what what it's all about. Maybe they did a really good job of building that. But um, I'm wondering because yeah, like, there's like instance, a on, good sense of community there for sure. Yeah. I think that's pretty key. I'm wondering because there's like there's other series on Newgrounds and when you watch when you watch the short and then the credits roll, there's like so many people involved and there's like thank you to all these. It's like I don't know, like probably 30, 40 people sometimes on these productions versus like yours where it's like, you know, a couple of people's voices, you've done the music, you've done the animation, et cetera. But you still like consistently get featured on the front page and like get tons of views. Like, why do you think yours... Tom's very nice to me. Yeah. Tom is very nice to <laughs> Tom, help. He's awesome. Is, is he the one specifically still picking those? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I mean, I've talked to him a few times. I don't, I don't think it's just him. Like, you know, there's yeah. also uh, Ivan, is also there. pretty active on the site. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They're all very nice to me at Newgrounds. That's good. <laughs> I love Newgrounds. <laughs> so how how do you how do you think yours has been so successful with you know resonating with people when there are all these other ones that take so many people to get going, and then on the other spectrum, there's like so many independent animators who like struggle to get their stuff viewed and and appreciated like what where why do you think sublo is hitting that chord uh i don't know i mean i guess people do connect with it a little bit like uh i think the most successful episodes are the ones that people relate to more yeah um like episode four is this party one and i just put a lot of my own experiences of like things that i hadn't seen in other shows but like felt very like true to like parties that i've gone to and stuff or oh, yeah. you know there's like a roommate character tito who a lot of people are like oh yeah he reminds me of like it's me the, or a guy the I high roommate <laughs> yeah um uh so i mean it's like a very sincere show which i guess is maybe i mean i can't i don't think it's had a ton of success but i think what success it has had yeah. It's because people are like, you know, they just, they really connect with it and they see like kind of the honesty in it in a way. I don't know. I mean, that sounds pretentious, <laughs> but like there's so much stuff online where people are like, I'm trying to build an audience by doing like Mario parodies or something. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like just kind of guessing what, what people are going to like, uh, which I can't blame people for. Like, it's so hard to get eyeballs on original stuff online, <laughs> you oh, know, because yeah. you're competing with like, literally everything else in the world like every every second online is like do you like star wars or this thing you've never heard of and it's like <laughs> probably gonna pick star wars right <laughs> yep well and uh, it's like i have like instagram reddit like all these apps that i'm like i get bored from one and i just go to the next one and start scrolling and i get bored and then right, i go to the yeah. next one and like it's so hard to make me stop and watch something. Yeah, I mean, I find that with me too. Like, I'm the same way as everybody else. Where like, if I like, if you see something familiar, you're gonna click on that as opposed to like something you've never seen before. Yeah. So I guess part of maybe uh, what's been successful with Sublo is now that it's been around for like five years, I think, which is crazy because there's That's not that crazy. many episodes. 
But, uh, you know, now it is maybe a thing where people are like, oh, I've seen that character before. I guess I'll click on it. Whereas, like, as much as I hate it, I feel like that's kind of human nature, you know? Like, the first time you see something or, like, hear about a show, you're like, okay, that's cool. But you probably won't watch it. But if, like, two or three people are like, you know, you should watch this show, then you're like, okay, maybe I'll check it out. Well, coming from the marketing world, there's like specific research done on how many times you have to hit somebody in the face with your message before they really pay attention. And oh, that's yeah. why like, yeah, that's why like commercials and like, that's why a company will pay for a commercial. They'll pay for like ads to be on your bus stop. They'll like, you know, everywhere. They just want to bombard you with that message because it takes so many times. I forget what the number is. It's something like, I don't know, 12 times for oh, you to see something before you really pay attention to it. So that's why it's like advertisements are absolutely everywhere. Mm. So you got to put that's... out 12 episodes. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> That might be it. I mean, the 13th episode went pretty well. The, <laughs> it helped that that one had like a bunch of like uh, guest animators in it too. Um, there, there. But yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I'm wondering, because you kind of have a unique perspective of, uh, you know, working in adult animation on such a huge show for Netflix and working on your own thing on the side. And you, you know, like in your professional job, you work with, you know, professional script writers and whatnot. And on the side, you're working on your own stuff. Where, like, where do you see the industry kind of going right now uh, through all of this? Hmm. Uh, well, definitely, I feel like things are going in a more like diverse direction i mean that's like the most obvious thing right like a show where every character is like a straight white man it's just gonna feel tone deaf right (laughs) uh and it doesn't mean that it couldn't be good but it's just i don't think it's what people have an appetite for right now yeah uh i don't know it's like almost easier to say what people don't want like anything about cops (laughs) or law enforcement (laughs) (laughs) I think, like I was saying earlier about BoJack, I think uh, maybe even more now than when the show started. um, I think people maybe want stuff that provides some kind of hope. Like, I'm pretty tired of the message, you know, of like from, I don't know, I was going to say Rick and Morty, but they don't necessarily do it. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like caring about stuff is stupid. Or South Park maybe used to be more like that. Oh, they've kind of moved past it too. But like, you know, caring is stupid. You're smarter if you just like, don't try to make anything better. I feel like that kind of attitude is not wanted right now. (laughs) Like people want stuff that says like, no, like it is important to care about things. Like there's stuff to hope for. Like, like, uh, you know, there's a point to stuff. (laughs) Nice. That makes Um, sense. That makes sense to me. Also, I think like old timey stuff like Looney Tunes and uh, there's like the Netflix Cuphead thing. That stuff's having a bit of a, at least a mini resurgence, it might be like uh, a limited trend. I don't know if, if people are going to get fully on board with it just because it's it's kind of niche and it also is like expensive to make good old style animation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I don't know if a lot of things are going to happen like that. But I think that a lot of people seem to want that, uh, like both Cuphead and the new Looney Tunes stuff and those like Mickey Mouse shorts from a few years ago or that started a few years ago. Those are all yeah, yeah. popular. Although, man, it's, it sucks. Like, I'd, I'd love to see more truly uh, original stuff, you know? But, like, none of those things are original. I mean, Cuphead's based on a, a game that's whole point is that it looks like an old thing. <laughs> Looney Tunes and Mickey Mouse just are old things. Uh, so what is that original thing you want to see? Because, like, I guess, I guess Tuca so. and Birdie's pretty original when it comes to... Yeah, it. yeah. I was going to say Tuca is, like, a good example of, like, the kind of stuff I would love to see more of in that, like... 
it has like a strong like like it's very much Lisa Hanawalt, the creator of the show. Uh, it's very much her point of view of the world, you know. Yeah. It's so kind of like idiosyncratic. It's not just like generic cartoon style. It's like Lisa's style, um, and like we all are able to like add our own ideas to it, but uh, it has to match up with what her perspective is on things. Um, you know, like, because places are always looking for ultra-specific stuff, but uh, it's not always in, like, a good way. Like, uh, I forget where. I was talking to somebody about pitching somewhere, and they said, like, yeah, I, like, I couldn't sell my show, but I know somebody who just sold a show about a ghost cat just because that place happened to be looking for a show about ghosts and cats at that time. You know? <laughs> it's weird. What like, in the world? How is that I such forget, a coincidence? I, I forget what the show was, but uh, it's something like that, you know, or like yeah. you could pitch like an amazing thing to Nickelodeon and they'd be like, oh, your show looks really cool, but it's about a robot. We've already got a robot show right yeah, now yeah. or even I've heard, like, I've heard a robot that show yeah. in development. Like we don't even have it out yet, but we're already kind of spoken for, <laughs> you know, but that stuff is so kind of ephemeral and random that it's it's like not even worth paying attention to because then like six months later they'll be like actually we do like robots now uh what was the question <laughs> I was, well it's what do you want to see more of in animation in the future and, oh, and yeah. you said like the original yeah yeah just stuff that really feels like it has a, a strong unique point of view like um oh. trying to think what else other than tuca and birdie i feel like there's some kid stuff that does it um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm generally more interested in adult animation, but, but there's not usually a whole lot of good adult animation at any one time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, from a, I guess the opposite, well, not opposite perspective, a similar perspective now, especially cause you know, the pandemic, you're working from home. Um, you've worked on multiple productions over the years and stuff. Are there things that you want to see from a industry culture more in the future that you're not seeing right now? Uh, I guess kind of like in the same way as the last question. Like, like really what I want to see is more indie stuff. But if I had to phrase that in like a less uh, obnoxious way, okay. maybe I'd say like a variety of storytelling styles, you know, like yeah. everything kind of feels the same to me and that it always has like the same kind of like rhythms and it's like very dialogue driven. Uh, like, I wish the industry was more open to, like, the potential of the medium, you know? Like, when I go to, like, a film festival, I see, like, so many crazy, like, ways of telling a story uh, that are so inspiring. And then, uh, okay, so, like, there's a good example is I went to the Glass Animation Festival in Berkeley last year, 2019, okay. I think. And there were so many crazy shorts with, like, uh, like there's this really good one called Slug Life by Sophie Coco Gate. That was like one of the, the coolest cartoons I'd seen in years. It was so personal and like unique. And then there was also like uh, just uh, a Cartoon Network pilot uh, yeah. that was like being screened along with all these indie shorts. And it just stuck out like such a sore, sore thumb because it was so just kind of like standard TV production and like how it it's like pacing and storytelling was. And I was just Dang. like, man, like everything uh, feels like that. Like, why can't more stuff feel like weird indie <laughs> indie projects? Well, there's stuff like um, uh, the Midnight Gospel maybe comes to Midnight mind. Midnight Gospel is like, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd love to see more stuff like that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Um, that's a great example. Yeah, of, like it's so personal and like weird, and it's not just like you know 
set up punchline sitcom jokes, you know? No, no it was, it was, uh, it was, a, it, well, I almost just, it's like an animated podcast, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I just wish that there was more stuff that was like experimenting with, I guess, like tone and, and pacing like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's always been hard to sell that on a mainstream level because I think you need some sort of appreciation for story and animation at uh-huh. a different level than just the average person who's eating cereal and turning on the TV, I guess. That's, oh man, that's another thing that bugs me about not again. It's like all these things aren't just because like the industry is stupid. It's just because it kind of like, I know that's just sort of human nature, yeah. <laughs> but like you're always kind of having to make stuff like the reason stuff is so dialogue driven is because there's an assumption that people aren't necessarily going to be like looking at the screen, you know, and it's like, well, you we have to make this watchable for people who are like, 10 feet away from the TV doing dishes or something and kind of right. half paying attention. It's like, but why is, why is that our target demographic? Why aren't we like, you got to make screen? stuff that forces that person to stop doing the dishes and come over to the screen. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a big reason why I like stop motion because it's such a visually involving thing. Like yeah. when you watch it, you, you also part of the story is also, you know, that it's real. So, yeah. yeah so, um, so inherently compelling. I feel like just cause you know, like, yeah the kind of the magic of it is so on display like you can't forget that you're looking at like stuff that's not alive but looks like it's alive because it's moving right well people always think cartoons are so easy to make like oh yeah can you make me an animation like next week for my like birthday i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, my dad was a musician and every like month or so well while i was still living with him at least you know a friend of his would be like hey can you like do a music video for me here's like <laughs> 50 bucks like can you do five minutes of animation <laughs> yeah no <laughs> in like two weeks i need it for two weeks from now and i was like uh like the first couple of times i was actually like maybe i should say yes and i would try and i'd just be like no like you can't increase the budget times three thousand and yeah. then <laughs> give me 10 times the amount of time <laughs> uh, i guess like like you were you were asking about like industry kind of culture stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I keep harping on it, but I kind of wish that there was more open talk and like criticism about the actual art of it. Like, there's always discussion. I feel like about at least in LA, maybe not so much in Canada, but there's like a lot of discussion about like work practices and like unions and benefits and protecting the workers, which yeah. Canada could definitely use more we of. We don't have any unions. I know. So. Yeah. It's, We're paid half as much as you guys. Yeah, it's it's it, that's one of the things that makes it hard to to move back to Canada, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, well, here's the deal. Now that you work from home, move back to Canada, live in a small town, and pay Canadian prices, and get paid in U.S. dollars. <laughs> Just not telling the studio. Well, actually, in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I kind of just wish that there was like more talk of like like within the industry that it wasn't like uh so frowned upon to talk critically about shows you know yeah yeah because i feel like it could make stuff better if if you're able to like discuss why something isn't as good as it could be well yeah i think you're right there's this huge taboo about criticizing anything and it's like i even feel that i don't want to like badmouth any shows now because i'm afraid that you know i've had somebody on that's worked on that show or like you know but (laughs) yeah uh I mean, the, the thing is, like, people are always online. They're like, you'll get blacklisted if you say you don't like a show. And it's like, that's yeah. not true at all. Like, the industry isn't, like, a monolith. Like, people aren't that organized. Like, <laughs> even when somebody should be fired from a show half the time, they're not. Because 
the rest of the production isn't like organized enough, you know? Right. Uh, like, like there was a guy on one of the shows I worked on who turned out to be a white supremacist <laughs> and he was openly like writing stuff about it online. Uh, and oh, the boy. show, you know, like this, like, there was a guy who should have been blacklisted uh, and he wasn't really just cause like the show like didn't get their act together, you know, oh, damn. eventually they fired him for unrelated stuff, I think. But, uh, you know, like if somebody's like tweeting that they don't like a show, like you're not going to get blacklisted for it. Good to, good to know. But people sure. people act like you are online. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah, online is a weird place, um, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering, maybe as we kind of wrap up the chat, do you have any advice for somebody who kind of wants to follow a similar path to what you've done, where they want to get into the industry and you know direct direct an adult and and animation and uh, you know do their own stuff on the side and have like an independent voice. What would you say to them? Uh, I'd say... Or maybe what was the most helpful advice that you received through it all? Huh. Here I'm asking you two different questions. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, I guess like, well, so the easier one, I guess, is like, what's the most helpful advice? Um, It was like kind of when I started directing, uh, the supervising director said, share your problems up, which I don't know if this is applicable to everything, but I mean, Hmm. on a good production, I feel like, people do want to like, you know, your boss wants to know how you're doing with something. Like if you're struggling with something, it's better to let your boss know and explain what yeah. the problem is as opposed to just kind of being like, I can, I can fix this before anybody finds out. Well, because- there's this huge fear of like, especially when you're new on the job that you have to be perfect and you can't yeah, show like your weaknesses and stuff. Yeah. So that's good. But to I know. Mean, it's better for everybody to know how people are doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, half the time they're just going to be like, oh, okay, good to know. Well, I guess we'll, you know, we'll put an extra person on your team because you need them this week. Uh, you know, yes. like, <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. on the shows that I've worked on, they, you know, they've been pretty good about that. It's never like, oh, you're struggling? Well, then you're fired. It's like, you're yeah, right. okay, we'll, we'll help you. We'll you know? replace so, you instantly somehow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's hard enough hiring somebody with like a month's notice, let alone with like a day's notice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd say the best advice was in terms of like industry job stuff was share your problems up and then creatively. Uh, a thing I like is uh, somebody said somewhere online years ago, like if you know exactly what you're doing, you're probably not doing anything new, <laughs> which is, I feel like a lot of the industry could, uh, could follow that a little more closely and, and try stuff where they don't feel like they have it like figured out totally. Yeah. A lot of times, like, my favorite, uh, my favorite times in like, a, like a long running show. My favorite part of the show is like early on before they've really figured out what their like formula is, you know, and they're like trying out weird stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. Wait. So what was the other question? Like what? That, advice? Those were it. The best advice <laughs> you could give someone and the best advice you received. <laughs> but I'd also just say, like, if you want to make your own stuff and, like, work in the industry at the same time, like, I guess, you know, you can try and get jobs, but you don't have to wait to make your own stuff. Like, just start making the cartoon you want to make by yeah. yourself right now or, like, get some friends to do it with you or whatever. Nice. Has it so, been easy for you to find people that want to work with you on on uh Tango? Tango. Sublo and Tango. That I deliberately picked because I thought it was like stupid and I thought that was funny. And then I didn't anticipate that everybody would struggle to say it. Am I not the only one? No, no. Uh, not by a long shot. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who consistently says it right. Well, it's like sublo and tangy are two very distinct words. And when yeah, you're saying it's them, well, it's like, which one do I say first? And then you say both of them first. It's like when you're saying bye awkwardly and you say like, have a good day and bye at the same time. So you say like, bye day or oh, whatever. I don't do crap all the time. Like, the worst is like, if it's like somebody's birthday, uh, or if it's my birthday, you know, somebody says happy birthday and I go like, yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. Well, <laughs> eventually they, they will. So that's have good. A nice flight. And I'm like, you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Just, just make stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it, you'll get better and then you're more likely to get a job, but also you'll get better. And then your next thing is better too. Right. Right. Makes sense. Um, is, <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share as we're reaching the final part of this podcast? Um, no. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's totally fine. I mean, I don't have any, I mean, I could like plug my cartoons in general, but like I don't have anything I'm currently working on or anything. Like, I guess, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out Sublo and Tangy Mustard, watch that. Watch my old cartoon, Fester Fish. Maybe I'll do some more episodes of that. Yeah. Uh, Watch Bojack, watch Tuca and Verdi, <laughs> check out Trip Tank. I don't even know if it's available online, but uh, it's a pretty weird show. Um, watch some stuff by Masaki Uwasa. He's my favorite animator. I will have to. I will have to put plugs in for all of those things. Yeah. If you well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Chad. It's been a pleasure to have you, Aaron. Thanks. You too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be on talking to you. Yes. Yeah. And if you're listening and you'd like to follow Aaron or get in touch with him, you can do so by checking out his YouTube, which is Aaron Long One, or his Instagram, which is underscore Aaron underscore Long. And of course, I'll include all those uh, links to Tango and Subly Mustard <laughs> and, yes. and the rest uh, in the description of this podcast. So make sure you check those out. And thanks so much for listening. Okay, bye. Bye.